Last week, we had some exciting action. Great setup. The plot is in full force. Brad is just killing it in the first half of this book. Well, I got to say, the second half of this book keeps it going, yet adds some friendly faces that really, really bring it up a notch. Yeah, so right after he uh, gets Gary, right, he goes to the hospital, and these two... The, what one of the nurses says, you have two visitors. Yeah. And immediately your mind just goes to the Russians. Like, the, you know, they're there. Exactly. And then he knocks on the knocks on the door and someone says like in bad German, like housekeeping, housekeeping or something. Yeah. We already and ate. It's, a, it's, it's Gordo Avigliano and our now friendly Rick Morrell. Yes. Who, and I love this detail, <laughs> Morrell gave himself his own code name, Bench Press. Who picks their own tag name, you know? Like, he just made up bench press. <laughs> You're supposed to hate this guy, but now we kind of like him. You kind of like him, but you also don't like him, you exactly. know? There's even that one scene where he's, later on, where he's like, uh, they meet up with Leighton, and like, oh, he's Leighton dick. wants to establish bona fides, right? And Morel's just a complete asshole to him. And you're like, come on, you, you gotta know, yes, you're pressed for time. But you got to realize that this guy's mission, his mission parameters are to literally bring a nuke into Russian territory. And I don't, he's ne- doesn't know you from Adam, you know, like right. you need to establish something. You got to give him something. You yeah, got to throw him a bone. You, uh, you got the burst transmitter. You got here. You figured out who I was. But, you know, this is a game of spies. Exactly. Yeah. You, you want to, you want to like Rick, but you also want to hate him. And yeah, only losers give themselves, you know. <laughs> Their their own call sign, especially bench press. What a what a what a call sign! You got to earn it. Like it'd be cool if like all right, he got bench press because he can bench like I don't know three hundred pounds or something like something crazy. Sure, but you can't tout that for yourself. You got to others got to witness it. Exactly, exactly. Although my favorite part of this entire scene in the hospital where he's meeting up with the good old boys is when he's like, "None of you are doctors." How are you actually going to watch Gary and convince the hospital staff that you're actually taking care of him? And then who comes out of the bathroom? You hear a flush. None other than Skip motherfucking Treywick. <laughs> I forget what he says uh, in a Scottish awesome. accent, but it's it's awesome. Something crazy. I also like how they're – I don't know if it's this scene or a little bit later where they're talking about um, like hot females. And Avigla <laughs> uh, Anna wants to be set up with Palmer. Like, <laughs> Does does Palmer like like men like that? Because I I can be like that. Oh my god! Well, and then there's also Alexandra's photo when when they right. find out. Oh yeah, Scott. they go head over heels for his, her photo. Scott has to go team up with her, and I forget who it is, but they're not showing everyone the picture. And Gordo or one of them is like, "Can I see the picture?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we meet these two. Kids. Did we meet um the ops guy and the comms guy in in uh, Lions or in um, Path? I don't oh yeah, no, they're they're the ones that come to rescue him in the the dune buggy. Yes. Oh, in oh, path. Yeah. Was it that? Was it those guys? Okay. It was. Yeah, he mentions it. He mentions it because the one guy. What are their names again? I know DeWolf and Carlson. Carlson. Yeah, Carlson. I think gets shot. Right. Like, in the desert. He has to get carried. Yeah. In the desert. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. Man, this is. I, I love this whole team coming together, and it's kind of strange where they have to go next. Because one thing Gary gives them, not, I was going to say on his deathbed, but not on his deathbed, but before surgery, right? They have a window, a very brief window where they can get some response from him. He can't speak, but he can only write. And he and he draws a logo. So he writes Helmet. And so Scott's confused, like, Helmet Drager. 
your whole backstory with him, you killed him 15 years ago, you know, after he murdered your wife, which maybe we'll get into in a second, but he also draws a logo and the letters MME, and they can't figure it out. But Herman knows that's one of the most well-known, what does he call it? It's a brothel, essentially. Um, Establishments of the night. An establishment, yeah. And uh, MME is Madame. So they have to go ask for Madame at the uh, this very well-known establishment. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. I think even in the, the beginning of the chapter, Scott or Brad writes, first a porn studio, which we didn't mention in the last episode, and now a brothel. Like, yeah. They... <laughs> They went to a porn. Uh, that's how they get the information on the, the from video, the camera. The at, video at this guy, guy, yeah. his friend has a has a, a porn production facility, and that now they're at a brothel, very nice brothel with a very nice, uh, <laughs> attractive looking young young lady who's in charge of it, or is the daughter of the lady, who, the madame who's in charge of it. Whose mother? We find out that she's a yes. The madame actually was working with Gary. And she is yes. somebody on the teams, and she even has her own uh, beer stein and number for the operation. So Gary's got this whole network, especially in East Berlin, the Cold War days. He's got a whole crew he's been running over there. I love how we're getting bits and pieces of who he was and when he was at the height of operations in the field, what he was doing. Yeah, and we find out that actually this madame was so entwined with the team that she actually fell in love with one of the players, right? And that the the daughter who we meet is a pro- product of that. Yeah, and then we get this really intense scene, like right after that team up, and then they find out. Do they do the whole burst transmission? They they are able to figure it out. You know, again, Scott's able to figure out the clues. What is it? Patton's speech, the date of Patton's speech, minus like the number on the bottom of of uh, the the mug, and that's how they're able to get into be able to send the transmission to Frank Layton. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, the patent stuff, like I said last episode, those puzzles just go a little too long for me and sometimes are just a little far-fetched. They were even trying like, oh, what about the day Patton, you know, liberated this part of Sicily or whatever, and it's getting a little obscure. You know what I would have liked? But the wolf even calls it out, though. He does. He does. But, dude... How much would this have hit, especially because the whole Gary-Scott relationship, Scott losing his father, Gary not making the memorial, blah, blah, blah. What if the code was Scott's birthday? Yeah, but it has to be something that the whole team can remember. I know that that would hit hard, but yeah. it had to be something that the whole team can remember, you know? Okay. And it's back. Scott wasn't born yet. What if it's Michael Harvath's birthday or death day? Mm. That would have been Again, good. he... He was still alive. You know, this is, yeah. we're talking the code from years ago. You know, these True. people have been sleeper agents for a long time. So yeah, I, I right. get for dramatic effect, that'd be, but that would be too coincidental, you know? Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, I was thinking to show Gary's, the importance, like what's a number Gary right. Lawler no, will I get never you. forget. I get you. Was the Harvest's birthday. Yeah, okay. So then they're in this brothel, they get that burst transmission off, and then a fire breaks up. And some gun gunfire, a fire and gunfire both break out, right. and they're on the run. And we get now. This is we've seen Helmut Drager. He intercepted Lawler in the in the last um, in the previously. He's interrogating him, and now he's an operator. But they mentioned that he's like a sixty year old dude. He's like Gary's age. So this man is like freaking awesome. Like if you when you think about it, like this old dude who's able to have on these night vision goggles. 
take out these guys, give Scott and DeWolf a run for their money. That whole scene in the dungeon, I was thinking about the, when I'm reading this entire novel, I'm like, this would be a really good movie. Yeah. Like a really good movie. The brothel scene um, for sure. Then they go, in order to, once they are able to get away, or no, uh, I guess Drager escapes them by going through these tunnels that are essentially like peeping, peeping holes. I don't know if it's for Madame or other people who just want to peep on other people having sex, whatever. And that's how they're able to get out of the building. And then we get this whole backstory that, about how that's actually how Drager yes. was able to know and kill, go and kill all, all of Gary's team because he knew that this was going play. Like he allowed, they, the Russians allowed this, the Dark Knight to think that they were undetected, but in actuality, they knew about it the entire time. They were peeping on him from this brothel. So they knew all the agents who'd come in and out and they'd, they'd be able to hear all their secret conversations and they were tracking Gary's guys the whole time. Spooky stuff. Very spooky. Uh, another complication, though, Helmut, in his old age, and both Gary and Scott, when they found out he was alive, couldn't believe it because there's some really, really deep backstory between Helmut and Gary. Yeah, I like that. I like the whole story of how Gary left him for dead and, well, how Helmut killed his wife. Right. It was a story in a story because Gary and I think it was Haida. Was Haida or yeah, Heidi? Haida. Haida or Heidi? I, uh, uh, I listened to it, so uh, he, he he said Haida. So yeah, but somehow Helmet killed her because they were both with a car accident working yeah. together. Right, it made it look like a car accident. So Gary went after Helmet, and when he got him, he chained him up. He put some explosives in the room. I forget where it was and what the context in was. In a church, it was in a church. Gary wanted him to suffer, so he beat him, he chained him up, and then he left him to explode, and Gary watched the explosion happen. So he assumed he was dead. Helmut Drager chewed his own arm off to get free, and Gary even broke his leg. So he basically crawled out with one arm because he chewed his other arm off to get free of the handcuff and just saved himself before the explosion. So it's like wild that this man is alive and still operating like he is at his old age what's the old adage if you don't sue the body they're not dead they're not so dead. G- right. gary messed up in that sense but he uh did. yeah you get some saw action with the description about how uh he you know like saw the movie where he eats off his own hand Oof. just to save his life and then he even brings it back later on with with scott when he chains him up and does a similar take where he's gonna let send a video to Lawler that shows Scott next to these nukes chained up just like Gary did all, all those years ago with him. Yeah. Yeah. The, just the backstory we get, it really fleshes him out and it makes him even that more scary of, of a bad guy. I don't know. I really enjoyed like these little snippets that we got of, of tying him into the whole story, into Gary, into the current plot. I think it not only makes him a better villain, but it makes Gary Lawler a better hero. Just right. knowing we find his out more history. about him, right? Yep. Well, there's one more major action scene before we have the race to the finish. You know, the last action sequence where we really got to stop these nukes. And what's cool that this whole time is the State of the Union countdown. What do you think right. of that That's as cool. a little technique that Brad was using here? Yeah, especially because the first chapter, right? We we know where the president will ultimately end up deciding like what to do, and we know that. He's 
we were getting these snippets and then it's just this countdown this and it it just adds to the propulsion of the story to know we're getting closer and closer to to the to the end supposed end right i really enjoyed it you know kind of like we mentioned with howdy's writing how that just leads to the propulsion again i also think and vince vince did this as well did you notice that the chapters kept getting shorter and shorter towards the end they did yes and the action is really rising when we're, I think, one to two days out from the State of the Union. And then right. the, the final, final action sequence is all happening within two-hour countdown to two the State hours. of the Union. So it's really – it's like 24, you know? That clock is ticking. Right. And it's putting right. the pressure on us and the good guys to really, you know, figure things out. Scott's always under the gun. There's always like a time component to his operations. But I think I felt it here more than a lot of other thrillers I've ever read. So we now leave Germany. We spent a bulk of the time of the book. I feel like a third, a solid third of the book is in Germany, right? Third to if that not whole half. middle section. Yeah, for sure. We make a quick pit stop in Finland where Scott's able to team meet up with uh, Leighton along with the CIA crew. Again, we get these description of the, the vehicles that they use to insert themselves in the with the AU, AUVs, like the, the little propulsion systems oh, the propulsion they use to go under the water. Yeah. The, I picture the it like a little like, rocket, right? With like wings yeah, that you just hold on yeah. to and it kind of like zooms you underwater. And like you click in, like at one point he mentions that like you actually like click your arms into it. So like it, you can't be thrown away from it. It's kind of very cool. Wild. And then like the description of the tech that they wear, like the, the, the suits and like the, how the oxygen, how it refilters and actually like replenishes their fuel that, it was it was it was a a lesson it was and what they're trying to do here some sealed delivery system with all this tech takes them to the gagarin no 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 what's the um what's the boat to the rebecca the rebecca was that the name of it the one that um that layton has where with the nuke like he met up with layton they tell layton his new plan yes and then layton goes off with morell and team but then scott has to take his boat into russian territory That's right. and then it gets and we get a chase down with a couple of Russian uh, subs, and you know Scott almost dies. Remember, like he gets, he has to make make his way out. Yeah, and doesn't he pop up? So he takes this like propulsion device to get away after they basically caught him, and he gets away just far enough to take out a grenade launcher. Doesn't he <laughs> hit him with a grenade launcher while floating in the water? So he right. He it? thinks normally this thing has like very it's very quiet, but. These subs have like really good sonar, so they're able to pick him up. Yes. He uses like where he put his this bag that he puts all of his stuff that needs to stay water, like that can't get in the water, but it, it like floats. He like sends that up so that way they shoot at that, and then he comes up and takes out some of these people. One of the guys that falls over has a grenade launcher that he right. then takes, and then he uses that to shoot at a boat. And then he also, like, the Rebecca was rigged to explode, so he took out another sub. But Scott single-handedly takes out, like, two of these Russian um, uh, fighter boats or subs, whatever they are. While he's just, like, floating in the water. Yeah. yeah that, that was, was pretty wild. sick. It's, it's was pretty wild. badass. Yeah. I think that's a scene that with the unabridged ver- or the abridged version might have been completely taken out. Because I remember reading oh, wow. it and thinking it was cool. But I think that was something that got cut now that I think of it. Because I'm a little fuzzy oh, on wow. it. I think it's because I didn't refresh it when I did the abridged, which is interesting because it's one of Scott's like most badass moments. 
Yeah, it's, it's he single-handedly takes out these Russian uh, dudes and blows up two Russian ships. And just the description of the tech we get through it is is really cool. So yeah, yeah that's and him funny. as a frogman, it really shows you that, right? And I think that's the scene where he talks about, it might, yeah, he talks because he's ride driving the Rebecca. He talks about how his love for the sea and how yes, when he joined the Marines, he really like felt a part of a team and how he could never like the sea was his his mistress, uh, just like his father. That's right. That's right. So then we move from you know. The Russians think that everything's going according to plan, Leighton, because they know Leighton's coming in, right? They they were trying to get him. Then he goes to St. Petersburg, and this is where he needs he, – he had gotten information from, I guess, uh, Morel that they have this contact in Alexandria, who we, we've sort of met a, a couple chapters. You know, we, we – obviously, she was there at the very beginning with the, the meeting of the four Russian generals. There's other minor, like, Russian – mafia guy who gets sent to kidnap her but he ends up uh she ends up killing him or actually the one of the generals who actually survives that attack right. and she tries to rescue but yeah so she's on the trail too so now her and scott their paths are coming together because and she's trying to do it to clear her father's name because her father was a, a double agent feeding information to the americans the americans didn't believe him right. when he told him about this whole you know nuclear plot essentially left him out to dry. So she's trying to clear his name. And now Scott needs to find her because she has the, the information that he needs. Yeah. And at the same time, and Scott drops a line like, we're on the same team here. You know, we might have different objectives or we're in it for different reasons. But in a lot of ways, we're on the same team because Alexandra also thinks the nuke plot is absolutely nuts. She might have an axe to grind right. with the Americans, but her father ultimately wanted to help them during the Cold War to avert for mutually assured destruction. And now she's seeing her country that she is still an intelligence a uh, operative for. They're leading down the path of mutually assured destruction. And so she also thinks that's crazy and kind of wants to stop the hardliners on her side as well. So that's where Scott has some wiggle room to convince her to, uh, to work together. And then they're forced to work together because of what is that shootout where she saves him? Does she save him or does he save her? So he ends up following her and she goes to meet a contact, one of the doctors or scientists who's working on right. the whole, uh, you know, system to with the with the, mi the missile system, defense system at this oxygen bar. Yes. And that's where, again, Drager is there. I think that's where Scott sees Helmut Drager and is like, oh, my God, right. Gary wasn't senile when he wrote Helmut. Right. He's alive. At, at, immediately after that, that's where Drager goes to the United States, I, I assume. But yeah, then, and then they get this one word to go look for Albert, and as well as a, a location, and they have to do it old-fashioned style. This takes us we're like we're just speeding through, you know, going place to place now, we're like sort of very Brad Thor style, mainly staying in Russia, right? We go from Saint Petersburg, a couple different locations, then we go to this church where they're able to find. I thought this was pretty cool that the like there's a the Saint Albert is the painter state of scientists right. and but there is no Saint Albert in the Russian Orthodox uh, religion, so that's kinda weird. And then they, they find like um plans and, and different things for this this submarine or this um the scientist the left class. Them there. The scientists, yeah. And then that sends them to the White Sea and Archangel, Arc the town Arc of Arc Archangel, I I can't pronounce the Russian. Archangel in, in English, but yeah. Right. They make their way to this town, 
And they also make contact on the way. They make contact with the general and they set up, they have essentially Scott decides to turn himself in, turn himself over as a Trojan horse. So Alexandra can bring him in. Yep. And get on the ship and get an appearance. And we get this pretty cool scene with the helicopter yes. where Morel's team is like hiding in the woods and they're able to take him out. And then they're able to now like dress up as Vestonauts and really complete this whole Trojan horse thing. What did you think of the that ambush scene? I thought it was kind of cool, especially because they need the Russian pilot to take them on the chopper to give the air signals and not to tip anybody off. So to like communicate well, on the comms, which takes them right onto the ship, which it turns out is the same ship with running the missile defense system. So they're getting their guys on. Basically to ground zero, because this missile defense system is the reason we have to play this whole secret agent, undercover, sneak the backpack nukes in, because we can't shoot the nukes. So if we could take down the missile defense system, that jig is up, because now we could threaten them, you know, with 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 air airstrikes. So they take the chopper onto the ship, and they get an appearance. And at one point, Scott's like, enough's enough, and he pulls a gun on uh, the general. And the general's like, ha, 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 underestimating me. I have all these men. And Scott goes, no, you don't. They're my men. And then they lift their masks, show themselves. It's Gordo. It's Morel. It's the crew. And the general's still laughing. He's like, oh, no, no, no. You've underestimated me, Scott Harvath. These men. And there's like plain clothes people, some working at computer stations. Dressed up as uh, computer techs, yeah. Yeah, they look like computer techs, but they're actually his agents and his guards. And so now... Scott and his crew are way outnumbered by all these guys. So it was like a little, I turn the tables on you, and then the tables get turned again. Yeah, I I don't know. what We kind of talked about Draeger and how good of a villain he is. What did you think, as a whole, um, the general was as a villain? This whole scene, you know, rings of, you know, Dr. Evil yes. um, at the end of, like, a James Bond. Like, you know, you think you have me, but actually I have you. I think I thought Scott sort of played his hand too quickly there, like thinking that he, he had the upper hand. He did. Um, you know, and I think he even quips, like Brad writes, man, like, they must be really, um, you know, really sure of themselves that they don't have more security on this boat. Oh, right. You know, when it, it's like, no, they actually do have a lot of security. You're just being an idiot right now. You were the um, ones being naive. Yeah. So I like yeah. this cat and mouse game going on in the boat. It's a lot of fun. I do think it might fall apart when they get captured and put in this room. I'm kind of yeah, that, like that that scene was like the how they get off the boat is kind of like crazy to me yeah. in terms of I don't understand how the two, you know, DeWolf and Carlson had time to like go around and place all these that felt um, weird. charges and yep. stuff like that. Um I was a little confused by that and how they're able to, you know, send a signal when obviously they knew from the very beginning, right? Because you said that they they needed to keep the Russian pilot to give the signals, but they didn't need him. To what get he out. actually did, he didn't give signals, and that was the key to let them know. Yep. They didn't say anything, and that was the that was like a sign. If I don't say anything, then that means I'm under duress. So they knew from the very beginning that these guys are bad, and so that the fact that they would just let two of their men just run run over the boat, I don't know. That that was a little confusing to me. Well, that, but also escaping from the room. So they put them all in the holding cell, and Carlson or one of them still has a backpack with debt cord, and so they could blow themselves out, and he starts a fire eventually. I'm like, how do you still have your equipment? 
how are you putting a holding cell all in the same place? And leading up to this, how did you have enough time to plant all the explosives and for DeWolf to put a logic bomb and basically a bug into their system to take down their whole comm system? <laughs> right, right. You did all of that off page in a scene that is like really we're under the gun. With the, the the countdown is on. So it was a it know. was a little hand wavy. Yeah, I think maybe just a little bit of exposition to explain what DeWolf was going to do before they got to the the ship. You know, maybe right. that would lead to a little bit more to the buy-in. But yeah, I would agree with you. Like the fact, I was just thinking, I was like, wait, they had all this time off, off page to do this stuff. Yeah, and the fact that Alexandra gets sent to the general's office, right. which has like, you know, that's where the debt court is, and she brings it back to them. She brings it after, gotcha. and the other scientist is the one who rescues her. But I would have liked to see that true. scene, you true, know, where true, she's true. in in the in that office, uh, or you know. See how she gets the she get, ends up getting those two notebooks, which are key to like figuring out the location of the nukes from that office. You know, like yeah. it's just like sort of thrown in. I think here's what's happening. I think sure balance and pacing is coming to a head. Sure, because you don't want to go off you, off into the, those different tangents, right? That boat scene and the level of detail how it's playing out could literally it's be, really cool, but it could literally be the bulk of a thriller's action. Like, it could oh, be yeah, yeah, yeah. a third of an entire thriller, and that's, like, the main, main storyline. This is kind of a side plot to kind of bring us to the ending, because we still have to go back to D.C. and the whole cemetery scene, which I want to wrap up with. So this is, like, we're already 70, 75, 80% through the book, but this really important big takedown and escape and blowing up a ship in the in the White Sea in northern Russia – that could literally carry a thriller, but it's just kind of this last last kind of side adventure of Scott and crew. So I feel like Brad is so aggressive in what he wants to cover and so many stories that he could tell. It, it almost is trying to mash them in and things like that get cut or go missing. Otherwise, this book would be 2,000 pages, and I, I think I would have read it. But I think it's just a balance. It's a consequence of balance and pacing and wanting to maybe do too much and the story being too real and too big for one thriller yeah maybe maybe this is where the edit takes some of that stuff out you know i'm sure maybe brad even had those chapters and it was just you know we we gotta we gotta cut something here and this makes the most sense and i I do think that whatever maybe if stuff was cut or the direction that was taken this whole up until when they're on the boat and then getting off of it just felt a little, I don't know. It was just a little off to me. Not, not to say that, like it wasn't cool in terms of like the action we got, where they they take out the Spetsnaz, where they they blow up the freaking ship. You know, at one point we're having like a Titanic scene where he saves Alexander off the side of the boat. Right. Uh, right isn't this right. this is where the general dies on that? Uh, he's on the helicopter, right? He and he he ends up going down. That's that's how he dies. So it was just like. It's just crazy. It's almost like how we felt at the end of Path of the Assassin. The stuff in Italy could have been really cool, but we were so tired. You know, we were so drained from the story. (laughs) It went so long. I feel like here, this could have been the coolest thing ever if it happened midway through the book or in a shorter book. It was just, was it the right place and time to go into something that complex with an op that big? Right. I don't know. But I will say... Once we get back to the United States, yes, those chapters w- didn't felt that way at all. No. They felt all everything felt important. Oh yeah, everything was succinct. You know, Scott's traveling around from. You know, I guess they're at the 
wherever they're doing the investigation, Alexander's helping out because they have the names of all these operatives and one of the ones who, who got killed by Drager. And so he begins to do in his investigation again. And this leads him to Gary's house. Yes. Uh, because Drager decided to wear Gary's coat the tweed jacket. into the building. Yeah. And they saw it on a surveillance tape because the guy was an antiques dealer. By the way, on Wisconsin right. Avenue, Georgetown, there's that antiques shop on the corner. Right. I can't help but think right. it's that one because that's a pretty big one. He says it's on Wisconsin Avenue. Again, pass that every day on my way to work. But the owner of this antique shop, which is a well-known Washington, D.C. establishment, he's been a mole. He was a Russian mole, and he was feeding things, and he had contacts uh, with the Russians. So on that surveillance tape, they see Drager wearing the jacket, and basically Scott goes, I know where Drager's been, at Gary's house. But it's a trap. At Gary's house. So there's that whole, like, Alexander saves his life. And then finally, we get to the conclusion, they figure out that it's cemeteries. Because it's a rental car. The rental car and the Lojack. And how, why would all these operatives, when they were found, have flowers right. and jacks? And, oh, it makes sense because they're flowers for the cemetery and jacks because they need to jack up these giant, um, I'm guessing, you know. Marble slabs. Marble, marble slabs that mausoleums. are encasing yeah. the, in the mausoleums, yeah. So, I guess, just what did you think about the final scene, the showdown with Drager, how Scott's able to save the day and be this one-man American savior? I thought that was super fun. If if I was feeling some of the action and plot was getting long-winded, this looped me right back in. It was crisp. It was propulsive, as we like to say. They get to Congressional Cemetery. They see a mausoleum for a family named Lennon. Scott's like, I'm going in. Alexandra, wait here. He goes in. He hears a grenade rolling towards him. He hears shots fired. And Gary says, or Morell says, they have guys down outside the other side of the cemetery. All this is happening. Scott hides behind two marble slabs in a mausoleum to save himself from the grenade. He sees the nukes at the other end of the mausoleum. They're all in here, and that's how we didn't pick up on them. They hide them behind lead and marble under layers and layers in these cemeteries, and they're rigged to go. And Scott, he needs to to figure this out. How does he actually take down Drager, I'm trying to remember? Or does Alexandra take the final shot? Alexandra is the one who takes the final shot. And he's wondering, did Alexandra turn on him? Is she the one? Right, who- all the way to the very end, because we don't actually ever see Helmet die. No. Scott says, oh, there's Alexander. And then Brad says, there's a, a shot. And, you know, it's sort of cut page. And then we go two days after the State of the Union. And we, we get sort of this exposition, which is a common thing that Brad's been doing. N- not as bad here. I like the little scene at the White House with his, his old team, as well as with the president. Yes. And finding out about what went down, what Drager was doing. They found all the other nukes, which were yep. also in cemeteries in a mausoleum for the family name of Lenin in both the U.S. and some other, I think, of our allies, our European ally yep. cities. What did you think of the president's phone call to the Russian uh, president at the end? I liked it. He's playing hardball. The president is giving it right to him. He's he's cutting off the Russian president saying, you tried, you failed, we called your bluff, we beat you, there's nothing you can do about it. And the president even says, I'm bombing Moscow, essentially. He goes, I'll leave your villa alone. 
I'll give you what twelve hours or something to evacuate. It'll be I'm Russian. Hitting... It'll be military and establishments only. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hitting military and government sites throughout Russia, and don't you dare retaliate, because we caught you planting nukes all across our cities. You can't get out of this. I think Rutledge here is is playing hardball, and he he needs to, and he's on the offensive. And he's not going to take any bull and not going to get pushed around. He's going to call it like it is. So I think he came on very strong here. It was also Scott's biggest honor of his life. To get the salute? When he gets a salute from General Vinnick, who's the yep. head of... The oh, Joint Chiefs. Yeah, he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And then the Defense Secretary Hillman and the President, all three, stand up in unison and salute Scott. And he says it was the biggest honor of his life. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool there. And also, I like the one little line that his his Secret Service friend says to him about you know how they didn't know why we were celebrating you, right? But they truly meant it. They did, and that's something you should be proud of. And they, I think, they fed the media some BS story so that the world didn't really know how close we came what to was nuclear going on. disaster. And they right. made Scott the hero. And Skip Trawick starts for he's a jolly good fellow in his Scottish accent. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Dude, I haven't had a lot of quotes, but the writing this entire book has been fantastic. But I think this was a really, really impactful way to show how much this means to Scott, you know, how much his hard work is is being paid off and being recognized. Brad writes, quote, Harvath didn't require accolades or parties in his honor. That wasn't why he did what he did. Scott Harveth did what he did out of honor, an honor instilled in him by his father, but an honor that he had come to know, understand, and deserve only as an adult. While he couldn't go back and fix the way things had been between them before his father had died, he could appreciate the man for who he was. Scott also came to peace with the fact that he was very proud of himself and what he had been able to accomplish, and in life, that was all that mattered. Scott's growing. Powerful. Scott is growing. Yeah, no, you could feel it. You could feel it. He's reflective, right? He's not just this jokester, you know. He's he's a very serious guy, and he's reflecting on his father, his relationship with his father. Meg even picks up on Gary can't replace your father. You got to kind of get over this and work it out. It's a, this is a very sober, mature, grown up Scott that I don't think we saw yet. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, so we get this epilogue where they finally get the service for his dad. Meg and him part ways, and Lawler sends him back into action. Is it? Do we immediately pick up with the shooting in Montparnasse in I Paris? I wonder. Yeah, he says you're needed. Pack your bags. There's a shooting in Paris. I, I don't know why Scott needs to be involved in the shooting. I can't recall what happens in what's the next book. Is it take? Is it blowback or is that the next one? I think it's blowback, but we're gonna pick up right here. Like I, yeah, this is a little tiny cliffhanger to get us ready for the next one. Are you sad to see Meg go? I guess you kind of talked about it last episode, but do you, is she really gone though? I I I saw it as she was letting him go in the sense of understanding he needs to run out for the op. She obviously wants him to yeah. herself. They were gonna have some time together. But I read that as she's letting him go in the sense of, I'm going to give you the space to operate. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you're right. 
So we'll see in blowback if uh, they're still a piece. If the shooting in Paris is something bigger than we thought. I think I remember liking blowback, but I don't recall too much about it. You'll find out next month on the Scott Harbaugh <laughs> podcast. But before we get into that, we got to do the scorecard, man. Yes, we do. All right. Um, um, as you, I don't know if you could tell, but I'm vibing on this book. I went high both for plot and action. I gave it double tens. I couldn't believe that. That's high praise. Double tens. Double tens. I liked it. I liked the plot. I thought the action there was plentiful and it was great. Maybe I could go down to a nine just because of that. The the like the actual the one scene we were just talking about on with the the Gagarin. Mm-hmm. But no, I like. The Cold War stuff, the spy stuff, everything was just was really good. Okay. And I like, you know, Scott as the actor. It was well thought out. So, yeah, I gave it double tens. Okay. All right. I gave it a nine on action. The action was awesome nonstop throughout. But an eight on the plot, really only because the dragging towards the very end. And wait, how did we get here? Why are we on this ship? And how did you escape from this little room? And yeah, so... We talked about it, but 8 out of 10, still love the plot, was bought in. And especially, I loved the Gary Lawler, Dark Knight operations, the spy versus spy of running these sleeper agents. I thought that was really cool. And because of that, right. it kept me bought in. 4 out of 5 Yeah, no, in. we're pretty high on buy-in. Like it's, it, I, I believe pretty much everything in this, so give it a 4 as well. Now, I was prepared to go a little lower on the bad guys. I was going to go with three out of five, but talking about Helmut Drager and his backstory with Gary and uh, Sevastopol, so, <laughs> still can't say. We're calling him. We're calling him Sevastopol. Yeah. We only spoke for two hours about him, but I still can't get it right. Sevastopol, which is the name of the city. Um, I thought he was a very good. Stavropol. Big bad. Stavropol. Yeah. A good big bad. Helmut Drager was a good. Operative bad, villain bad, doing the action bad, and Stavropol being the maniacal, philosophical driver behind it all. I thought it was pretty good. So I went 3.5. Okay. I went a four. I, I think like we could have got a little bit more of the general. You know, like he, he was heavy in the beginning and then very heavy in that the final scene. But that, that final scene was like a little bit messed up. You know, I, I can't even like re- really remember how he died. Like that's how much I was confused during that yeah. that whole sequence. But I think overall, like I like like you said with the helmet, helmet really brings it brings the bad guys back up. So I gave it a four. Yep. Now good guys. Oh yeah. Uh, this is a five out of five. Five out like, of five. Just we get Herman the German, we get Rick Morrell and team. You know, we get Alexandra, we get Gary Lawler. You know, we we every single Frankly. person that Scott, yeah, that is teaming up with, they're good. They're well thought out. And there's not this whole like dynamic between with Scott not liking many of them like we got in the previous two books. So I don't know. I the good guys were really good in this one. Hundred percent, five out of five. I, I loved Herman the German and his boys. Seb, I think Sebastian was one of them. That's awesome. Setting though, I, I know we said we love it, and it's it's Brad Thor's stick. I was glad we didn't go to all that many places. So while I would say Berlin was a five out of five, East Berlin. When we were there, I was I was loving the setting and the descriptions. I got a little lost in Russia. Were we in St. Petersburg? Were we in Archangel? Were we on the Kola Peninsula next to the White Sea? I got a little lost there, a little fuzzy. 
And then when we were in the U.S., like, okay, I know we were in Coronado Beach, but I didn't hear all the details of where are the different military installations and, and the beaches and the SEAL training. And yeah, so I went four out of five on setting. Uh, it would have been a five out of five just for Berlin, though. Right. I, I gave it a four, a four as well, just for the same reasons you said. Again, the descriptions of the settings were great, but, and I, like you said, I was happy we didn't go super globe trotting. We just did mild globe trotting in this novel, but yep. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Time for the cover. Judge, a cover by the book. What do you think about these, Chris? Um, This is probably like the, my least favorite part of the book, if mm. I, if I had to say, like, I really like cover D yes, and cover E, which are yes. like the newer covers. Some of the older covers, I don't know. They're just not doing it for me. I, I like cover C, which is on Brad's page of him holding up a picture of that. I don't like the lettering. I don't mind like the, the flag with the United States, but I don't like the lettering of State of the Union. I agree. Um, we it's got like Jared Leto here on, 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 uh, on G. <laughs> Um, I never like those German ones. Ein Brad, Ein no. Scott Harvath thriller. I, I don't like when they have a picture of the person. And to be honest with you, we're going to cover Jack Carr. Every one of his books has this outline or even sometimes the face of a person. And I'm just like, I don't need that. And I don't think that's James Reese right there. Like, it doesn't right. fit for me. So anytime there's a person with the gun, it's too easy to get wrong. And it's usually wrong. So, Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, but the two I like have the hammer and sickle, Correct. which I think, you know, Russia plays a big role in this. And as well as D has the hammer and sickle stamped right over the Capitol, you know, the, the Capitol building. I really like that. I agree. The original covers are interesting because they have, what what is that, Mike, on, on A and B? I don't know. A double-headed eagle or bird? Well, B is the trident, the, uh, the seal. Right. The seal, the seal thing. I don't so, know what A is. And the, oh, there's I, now I see the nuclear radiation, but I, I, I don't know. I guess it doesn't really tell me much. Whereas like the other ones tell me that Russia is going to be a player in it. I, I like that aspect to it. Right. Ooh, the double-headed eagle is a concept of empire. Okay. All right. Hmm. Interesting. What? Which, which one's your favorite, Mike? I think you're right. The originals are not doing it for me. A, B, or C. Not so much to do with this story. I'm I'm not right. really getting the vibes of what's going on, like the seal trident and the ribbon. Okay, maybe the book's very reflective about Scott and his background and who he is, but eh. A, I think, has nothing to do with anything. It's actually probably <laughs> one of the worst originals between Brad Thor, Vince Flynn. It might be one of the worst OGs, original covers. <laughs> also, the gray. Sometimes a nice steel, a modern gray will do it for me. But this is like a very dull, boring gray with flames. And the flames don't really pop when they're on a dull, boring gray. So it's not even like a gunmetal gray. I don't know what it is. D, though, is killing it. You are right. Big yeah. winner in D. The sickle on the Capitol building, the yellow, for some reason, the yellow and the light red screams to me pop. Soviet era. And the fact that it's on the Capitol building, it's supposed to look like Soviet iconography, but on the Capitol and it's called State of the Union. Oh, hell yeah. I'm buying that. So, yeah, D and E are the best, but definitely D takes the cake. Yeah. So because of that, I gave it a 3.5. 
Yeah, I convinced myself I'm going down to a three. I'm going down to a wow. three. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. One what one out of eight or one out of seven covers. Like eh, you gotta have some more good ones thrown in there. It's only one good one. The plot of the book is raising raising the rest of the covers for me. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. How about a free space? Let's end with some positivity. What are you giving a perfect five out of five in this book? I could do a lot of things. Um, but what I really enjoyed was the descriptions we get of some of the tech in this book. And I feel like it really shines and shows, you know, Brad's uh, research and how he like he wants to adapt that Clancy-esque-ness that we talk about into his novel. I thought it was really well integrated, didn't bog us down too much, uh, and I learned a lot. So, yeah, that that would be my free space. I, I could have picked that or I could have picked the um, – we already, already kind of did them with the good guys. But I just like the integration of yes. the new characters, yep. even though they're – even though we've seen them before, I feel like they were a little bit more fleshed out here. So I liked I liked that as well. That's my five out of five. Yep. The oh, team I stole up. it. Gordo, he's pretty funny, but he's a great operator. Morel coming around to him, even with his quirks. Herman the German assembling that team, giving Scott whatever he needed. Loved all this. Fleshing out Gary's back. Herman the German is the winner of the of the book for sure. Herman wins, absolutely. And his boys. So five out of five for those guys. Bringing me to a total 41.5. But Chris, you passed the 45 threshold. 45 and a half. 45 and a half. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's a solid book for me. I really liked it. That is a good book. I agree with you. So right now it's it's probably it's probably this, then Lions, then Path. I don't know. That's hard. That's we, we have to go back and redo our Lions scorecard. But yeah, no, I I was I was I was I was vibing with this book. So yeah, Lions was out of thirty points before we really finalized the scorecard. So we'll bring you guys down the road a bonus episode. We'll readjust our scorecard, and plenty more to come on this podcast, especially as we get ready in just a few short weeks for Rising Tiger. And Chris, we have confirmed a date to get Brad Thor on this podcast. We can't wait. I just I remember the first time we got to talk to Kyle Mills. It was so exciting. Those same feelings are coming back that we are going to sit down with Brad Thor. I know when you emailed me, you were like, "Are you good for this date with Brad?" I was like, "Wait, it's happening! It's actually happening!" It's I happening. knew like like David had had said we you know we could easily get him as long as we had time to, but it, you know now it's official. It's just it's super exciting. I get a little giddy to talk to these authors. You know, it's so on it's, the calendar. It, it'll be fun. We got a date. Yeah. And a little teaser for you guys, just like on the Mitch Rap Pod, when I almost said Oath of Loyalty, when Enemy at the Gates came out, we had Kyle come on the show to spoil it with us so we can hear what was going on in his mind when he made the decisions he made, why he wrote what he wrote happening there. So we really hope to have an episode with Brad where he gets to spoil and talk about the choices, decisions, plot points, characters that he wrote in rising tiger. So stay tuned, subscribe, and also don't forget subscribe on the thriller podcast. We're going to be covering a lot of Jack Carr in the months of June and July. Right. So next month we'll be bringing you rising tiger, taking a little bit of a break from this current thing, as Mike just said, as well as bringing you our interview with Brad. We need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. 
You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, eyes, oh, And just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Brad Thor, Scott Harvath, or Simon & Schuster. The music soundtrack is Honor Bound by Brian Teo.